podcast is brought to you by LMU Munich. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm not sure I will give uh, really uh, recipes today, but uh, I will try to, to show you and guide you in, the, in this field. So, uh, I took this picture from the original sin, because I think that's, all, in fact, what we are all looking at. Uh, what was the start point that uh, uh, diverted normal development and led to this uh, uh, susceptibility to disease uh, in later life? And uh, also showing that, in fact, the original sin can occur at very different time uh, during development. So, uh, sorry, I have to get used to that. I don't see the, 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 the sign on the screen, please. Just be able to see it here. No, no, because it was here. This way. No, here. If you put it what here. was here? Press, press here, Claudine. Um, yeah. Sorry, just the way. Okay, 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 sorry. <laughs> Technical aspect. So, uh, there's no doubt today that uh, epigenetic uh, represents the support for keeping the memory of what happened during our, our life. There may be, of course, other uh, mechanism, but epigenetic is the one that we are focusing on. And so, the main questions that we have today is when did the original sin occur and what was the consequence of that? Just one sin, we know that we commit many more. And how did the mark that were made at the first time evolve? We can see that they evolve all the time. So how can we recognize them? And the main question, can they be reverted? So sorry, I have to be too get used to that, on a click is, so, what uh, is developmental epigenetics? So I will try to uh, go through different aspects. The first one, epigenetic is an ongoing construction, and I will show you what are the different actors. The second, the second one, sorry, I don't like this. The second one, uh, how epigenetic can keep the memory of environmental disturbances and how this is a lifelong remodeling story and why, in fact, we are chasing shadows. We are chasing shadows because these marks, original made in a certain context, move, change with time and are all the time diverted by the environment. And the other thing also is that the original sin was a question of a man and a woman. And the shadows are also shadows of what happened in female and what happened in males. So epigenetic and ongoing construction. We will see what are the marks. We will see what are the writer, reader, eraser, presenter, in other words, the enzymes and all the uh, proteins that form the, the big complex, the big scaffoldings, how they cross-talk, and also that uh, epigenetic, the limits of epigenetic are, are, 
hard to define because it is really an expanding world. So the chromatin overview, just to remind you that uh, the, uh, we start with the uh, double helix. Do you see that on the screen? Yeah, okay. we, we, we start with the double helix that it goes around uh, an octomer of histones made of uh, four different types of histones to four pairs. And the compaction of the uh, chromatin uh, leads to uh, different uh, levels of compaction. It can be either relaxed or it can be very compacted and therefore this will lead to either expression or non-expression of the genes. And uh, so this is the main uh, aspect uh, that we have in the cell. And one important aspect is that because of this possibility of compaction and relax relaxation, chromatin is reversible and therefore it, this is what is essential for the interaction with environment. So, what are the uh, different codes that we have? We have. We, uh, first of all, we have this, the DNA code. We have modification on uh, CPGs, on non-CPGs. We have also modification of uh, the uh, hydroxymethyl cytosine. This makes a code, a DNA methylation code. And we also have a histone code. With all the tails of these different histones, we have lots of possible modification and therefore a lot of uh, combinations that made, uh, make this combination huge. And uh, uh, therefore, these modifications uh, are also found in repressor, in activator, and, and we also have post-translational modification that will lead to remodeling of the chromatin. And so with a chromatin that is compacted as like here, usually we have silencing of the gene, and with a chromatin that is relaxed like this, there is a possibility of a accessibility of transcription factor. So these mechanisms are involved in transcription, in repair, in replication, in condensation, in X, in activation, in printing, aging, etc. So, until now, uh, many people who were interested in uh, epigenetic and epigenetic mechanism uh, were interested mainly focusing on DNA methylation. What I want to show here is that uh, we have been focusing on something, but it was just the tip of the iceberg. And therefore, now we have to look at many other modifications. So the first one we looked at was methyl uh, CPG, and, uh, which is uh, called uh, MECPG. But now we have seen that uh, from studies on uh, stem cells, but also in adult cells, that there is also methylation on non-CPG, on CA, on the C of the CT or CC, and also hydrocymethyl cytosine. Another definition which is important is the CPG island. The CPG island 
has a strict definition, but in fact the limits are, are not very well established. And what is a CPG island? The CPG island is something like that. It's a concentration of CPG in a certain area. And at the beginning, they were found in the promoter of genes, and therefore it was thought that uh, they were uh, involved in the regulation of the expression of genes. And these CPG island were mapped on the genome, and as you can see here, they are uh, distributed on the, on the genome, but if you look at uh, this uh, tiny chromosome 19, which is rich in gene, there are lots of CPG island in this chromosome. So it means that CPG island do have something to do with uh, regulation of expression. But there was a paper in uh, two, uh, 2007 from uh, Michael Weber who showed that in fact the CPG island were more complicated than that and that the, in fact there were three different kinds in, of uh, CPG island. Those that were poor in CPG and those that were rich in CPG. And depending on the density of this uh, CPG island in CPG and on the gene function of the gene that, that we're close to, we found, they found that uh, somatic methylation was clearly dependent on the, con on the content of CPG. That uh, the uh, repression of the methylation step, uh, state, the repression of expression, was not the same whether you were on a CPG poor island or on a CPG rich island. And also, the probability of de novo methylation was also different depending on this uh, different type of uh, CPG island. So now, where should we look at differences in DNA methylation? We first looked at the promoter, and now you can see here in red all the different types that, uh, of sequence that we have to look at to see if there is uh, uh, really a relationship with the gene expression. Enhancers, silencers, uh, also the intergenic region, but also in the gene bodies because there, uh, uh, there is also heavy methylation when the gene is expressed. So now, concerning the histone marks, the histone marks, they will look, if we look at the different type of histones, there are nine different type uh, classes of post-translational modification. There are about 50 different type of marks, and so therefore you can imagine the uh, combination, the possible combinatorial that we have. And also, these marks are positioned uh, in a different manner on the gene where they stand. Here is a gene with the transcription start point here. And you can see all these different modification of histones are located in different area of the gene. And they contribute to either the repression or the activation of the gene, but not necessarily just in one way. It, it's also context dependent. And there is also crosstalk between the histone mark, and there is also crosstalk between histone mark and DNA methylation, and of course many other factors. So, 
to put all these marks on and to remove them because the uh, important uh, uh, message from that is that we are always in a situation of balance between modification and demodification enzyme. And uh, this is just a part to illustrate the list of, the, of, of uh, enzymes uh, that are known. We have also, but I'm not going to talk about that, the, the world of the non-coding RNA, which are also very important regulators of gene expression. We also have uh, something that uh, uh, takes us back to the notion of enhancer, silencers, and so on. How can sequences like enhancers have an influence on the expression of a gene they are far away from just by making loops? And these loops are dependent also on epigenetic modifications. We are also uh, in uh, uh, nucleus or cytoplasm, and depending on the modification, there can be a traffic between the nucleus and the cytoplasm, and therefore uh, remove um, actors from where they should be. We are also uh, in need of uh, uh, groups like uh, methyl or acetyl or any group that are important for these enzymes to work. And we are also in a context of not just one cell, but also the environment of the cell. And there are interactions between one cell and the other, interaction between the extracellular matrix and the nucleus of the cell through a very uh, important network of fibrils that get to the nucleus and therefore have an influence on the epigenetic marks. So these marks can be changed by the environment because they are very flexible. The epigenome serves as the molecular archive of past and present environmental conditions. We have been used, especially in developmental programming, of uh, talking about metabolic memory. But in fact, uh, especially after birth, but maybe before birth, there's also something very important going on in terms of learning, in terms of uh, memory, in training, for example, that will shape up the uh, identity of the individual. The uh, environment will leave long-term archives, but also short-term archives. For example, when you are eating, you will modify the expression of certain genes through epigenetic modification. And after uh, the cycle of uh, eating and being on a fasting, uh, process, then the genes will go back to their initial setup. One very important thing is stability versus flexibility. If we want the mark that are initiated very early, for example, during pre-implantation, pre to have an impact later on, they must be stable in a way, or they must be stabilized in a way. But if we want them to be flexible, then we need to find tools that will reverse these marks. And so this leads us to the next question, 
the erasability of the marks that were sent down earlier. So how does uh, the environment act in general? The environment is comprised of many, many different aspects. It can be chemicals, it can be food, it can be uh, uh, maternal care, it can be social environments, and uh, there are many examples now in the literature showing that, uh, in fact, the, the ways uh, through which the environmental um, factor acts down to the epigenetic uh, machinery can be the same whether you're talking about uh, exercise or maternal care or lipids, for example. So there are today that are known and recognized three different ways. The, the first one deals with that, the epigenetic machinery. There are uh, substrates or um, food, for example, that will get into the cell, be metabolized, and can act directly on, uh, on protein that belong to the epigenetic machinery, like, for example, DNA methyltransferase or histone methyltransferase or HDAC histone uh, deacetylase, and therefore they will have an effect on the whole genome everywhere, except for sometimes when they are uh, uh, specific for certain HDAC, for example. So this is the first way, going acting on the epigenetic machinery. The other way is acting through um, pathways, like for example this one, the traditional receptor signaling cascade. If the ligand binds to the receptor, then it will trigger the cascade of these uh, different types of mechanisms. But in this cascade, what is interesting that is that there are, for example, kinase, and uh, there are additional mechanisms. Some of these kinase can phosphorylate or dephosphorylate um, certain groups, like certain molecules, like, for example, GLUT4, and this will lead to the localization of uh, this uh, transporter to the membrane. Same thing in the nucleus, the phosphorylation of a, a histone deacetylase will lead to the removal of this uh, histone deacetylase from the nucleus and bring it to the cytoplasm. Therefore, it won't deacetylate anymore the genes here. The other type of pathway here is that of the uh, ligand-activated nuclear receptor. Here we have, for example, steroid receptor, or here the PPARs, that bind to their ligands and lead to modification at the level of the genes on which they are fixed. So these different type of mechanism have different mode of action. This one, this type, will generally lead to whole genome, global, uh, modification, and this one will, these two, will lead to specific sets of genes uh, to be up or down regulated. So you can see at the whole genome how it can work. 
So now that we have uh, set the stage with the different actors, uh, how does it change during the course of life? Epigenetic is a lifelong remodeling story. The first of, of it is wiping the slate clean from one generation to another. We have to remove the mark. But we know that in a very rare, in very rare cases, there are examples of transgenerational transmission. The uh, other stage which is quite important is that in order for uh, genes to be pluripotent, they need to have special marks. And these marks are very important during pre-implantation. And after that, the uh, scaffolding is being built on. We have marks that are specific for the very early stage, but as we age, the mark change. And so later on, we also have the possibility to have metabolic memory, and later on, but maybe uh, earlier, we have erosion remodeling by aging. So the first, uh, the first example here of this lifelong remodeling story is the wiping uh, of the slate. This occurs twice. The first occurrence is here at the time of gonadal sex determination. There is uh, an erasure of the marks in the germ cells, in the primordial germ cells, and the marks are being set up again, but in a different manner, whether we are in a male or in a female. And so you see that the course is not the same. We have another uh, event of demethylation, de, uh, well, removing of all the other marks, is here, is just after fertilization. And here again, the removal of the marks is not the same on the maternal genome or on the paternal genome. And again, after implantation, marks are being put on again in a very uh, well-determined pathway. So this sexual dimorphism that we have here is due to what? To pre-existing marks, probably histone marks. The expression, the different differential expression is due to sex-specific promoters, to the timing of the expression of the gene, which is different in male and female, to splicing variants, to the different targets of these uh, genes, and also to the duration of the exposure. The second uh, very important time uh, during, uh, during development is, is this, this part, when uh, genes need bivalent marks in order to be, as uh, was uh, first said, poised for activation. So as you can see on this scheme, you have here uh, how DNA methylation is installed, how H3K27, uh, which is a histone mark that is repressive, is first installed together with an activating mark, the H3K4 dimethylation uh, methylation mark. And you see that this activating mark increases with time. 
So at the beginning, they are on pluripotent genes, and after, they are on developmental uh, specific genes. And this is also so the same scheme that is seen in, uh, in germ cells, in primordial germ cells. You have these variations in the expression of these uh, enzymes and therefore on the marks. And uh, later on in life, so this is the uh, slide that I borrowed from, from uh, Rebecca Simons. Uh, we can see that when uh, we are at a certain stage, here it's in the fetal islets, controlled fetal islets, but in case of an environmental insult here that was late in, the, in pregnancy, there is an initiating uh, event that occurs here. It's the recruitment of histone deacetylase that deacetylate the gene and therefore leads to progressively lower expression. But as time goes on, there is a progressive uh, uh, silencing of the gene by the recruitment of other marks. The marks that are silencing are, for example, the dimethylating H3K9 and uh, the marks that are activating the H3K4 trimethylated slowly disappear. So we see that from the original mark we have a progression and that in fact these marks are self-propagating and that's why it makes them difficult to identify. This is uh, another example. It is well known that uh, diabetic patients continue to develop inflammation even after uh, the uh, glycemic control has been achieved. And therefore, uh, these authors and, and several others looked at the different types of marks that could be responsible for that. So they looked on uh, human aortic endothelial cells and also on mouse cells, and they put them in, in contact with uh, high glucose concentration. And they looked at the promoter of a gene, NFKPB, which is involved in uh, inflammation, in uh, regulating genes involved in inflammation. And they found that uh, due to the presence of high glucose, they had an increase in an activating mark. And what was more interesting there was that these marks were persisting even after the uh, concentration of glucose was uh, normal concentration was, uh, was restored. So it means that these marks uh, can probably represent marks that are locked and therefore very difficult to, to remove. So we have to learn how to remove them. And in fact, this is what was done in this work. But of course, it was done on the cells, it was done in vitro, and uh, it works, but we are not yet in, in uh, human being. So now that we have seen all this, I'd like to uh, go on and, and insist on uh, taking the same title as today, The Power of, of Sexual Dimorphism. Why? Because uh, it has been 
known for a long time that, of course, the uh, steroid hormone that were secreted uh, from the uh, after gonad differentiation were very important. But recently, there were uh, some papers showing that even at a very early stage, for example, in the blastocyst of, uh, of uh, bovine, uh, they, they, there was uh, already 30% of the genes that were differentially expressed. And now we know that there are genes on the X and on the Y chromosome that show different level of expression depending on whether they are in a female cell or in a uh, male cell. And therefore, with the combination of this plus this, and of course, after birth, the social, cultural environment, we have consequences, and this is what I want to talk about in the genes. So, this shows that, in fact, male and females use different strategies to reach the same endpoint. But is it to reach the same endpoint, or just, in other words, to cope with uh, an event, with, to cope with uh, a deleterious uh, situation? So we can say that they can use different pathways to reach the same endpoint, and therefore there won't be any sexually dimorphic difference in terms of programming, but they can also do that. They can use different pathway, but to reach a different outcome. And this, I think these two have to be taken into account when we are thinking of what, what's happening in the experiments that we are looking at, and especially on the sexual dimorphism in the, the offspring. So, uh, to conclude on that, I found this uh, picture of Augustine saying that original skin is transmitted by concupiscence and enfeebles freedom of the will without destroying it. I don't know if it really applies to programming, but it is interesting to see that. So, we have to look at, it's very interesting to see what is the original mark, how it starts in order to be able to find the tools to prevent them. But we now have to look at when it happens, how, where. We uh, understand now that we have moving targets and we now see that we must not neglect the, uh, the power of sexual dimorphism. And this is um, to thank my uh, collaborators and uh, many of them, and some of them are in the audience, and uh, we were trying to get out of this uh, uh, very complicated story. We are just at the beginning. Thank you. Transcriptional uh, machinery, in other words, whether um, 
ribosomal, uh, the, the number of ribosomes you have in your cells and the uh, number of ribosomal units that are uh, made is also uh, an epigenetic uh, phenomenon. Uh, well, I think we we have to we have to define the epigenetic mechanism as something that has an influ 